RPP, it's great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and if it's your very first time here, I just want to welcome you uh, as you join us, to, uh, join us together for this, uh, this service. You know what? It's been a crazy week, hasn't it? Just amazing time. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen so much change in such a short amount of time. We've gone from 250 people, uh, uh, gatherings to 50 people, to 10 people, to nobody uh, overnight. And uh, I know it's been a very uh, stressful time for many of you. And so it's just so good to connect with you here together and spend some time together in God's Word. Now, I want to give you a heads up about one particular thing. Uh, that uh, last week we got some questions. You notice that there were some people in the room and you're like, hey, I thought we were, services were closed down. Well, last week uh, we invited about 50 people. It grew a little bit beyond that, I think about 80, uh, just because it is so difficult to kind of lead worship and then to, uh, to teach to an empty room. And our, our number one goal is just to create a great experience for those of you who are watching on home. And so this week we're not doing that, of course, because of the new regulations, but I have invited five people to be here, one of my wives, one's my wife, uh, just to be here. Uh, and we've actually strategically placed them around the room. And so talk about social distancing. There's like 30 feet between people. So uh, we are doing our best, but we just want to create as, as fresh uh, an experience as, as much as we can that you experience what it's like to be here in norm, one of our weekend services. So we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. Uh, like I said, so good to be with you. Uh, if you haven't done so, I hope you've printed off your uh, message note sheet because uh, uh, that's what Krista was talking about me before the service. Uh, that'll make it so much easier for you to follow along and, to, uh, and for God to speak to you today. And so we're going to pray and then I'm going to jump in. So let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful to be here uh, together, uh, really around the world, uh, gathering as one, Father, that we may be having to practice uh, social distancing, but we're so thankful that through technology, we do not have to practice spiritual distancing, that we are together. You said where two or three are gathered, that you are there. And so I know in homes, in cars, uh, in different locations around the world, People are joining us right now. And so I pray that by your spirit, you would meet us in a powerful way and release the power of your spirit in this time together. That your word would come with power, vitality, clarity, and strength. That we would be encouraged and built up in your strength and your power and your confidence. We praise in Jesus' name. And all of you at home said, amen. amen. All right. So we're gonna, uh, our story starts today um, in a large room. And uh, this is where he works. Uh, this is where he finds his peace. Uh, and everything is going well. But uh, he'll never forget the moment. He'll never forget the time. He'll never forget what he was doing, what he was thinking when the, his assistant came through the room and gave him the news. He remembers his heart stopping. At first, it was everything he could do to believe it was really true. He just wanted to stay in the land of denial. But deep down, he knew it was true. The report was solid intelligence. He knew the, the, the sources of the information. And so once he caught his breath, kind of pushed down the panic, he called in all his top advisors, and they began to meet. They began to brainstorm. But the reality was, though they, they thought, they planned, they strategized, they, they all knew deep down that this was the it. That they might be able to delay the disaster but not stop it. And in the midst of that crisis, he knew that there were, they were out of options. He had one option left, 
It was, uh, it was last ditch. It was last chance. It was like the quarterback throwing a, a bomb at the end of the game, a, a Hail Mary, very low percentage chance, but it's the only thing he had to do. And when it dawned on him, he called in his assistants, his aides. He carefully drafted the order, the message to be sent. And it was sent out with post haste. It was sent out as fast as possible, hoping that this would, they still had enough time for him to throw this last pass. Well, today, uh, it's so good to be with you, um, especially in the midst of all this uh, chaos that's going on in our culture. Um, if you're new here, uh, I want to welcome you. I know there's many people really around the world that are joining us. We've got your emails this last week, and, and so we're just so thankful that you're here. If you're a regular here at Rocky Peak, uh, you probably remember this, that for about the last three weeks, we've been announcing that this week we're kicking off a new series. It was called Upside Down, uh, Humility and the Kingdom. We're looking forward to that. But uh, last weekend, I was at Starbucks. Starbucks, in fact, it was a, it was a Saturday. It's when we still had Starbucks. Um, and uh, so I've had to find a new Holy of Holies. Uh, thrown off my whole week. Um, but, uh, but anyway, it was, it was Saturday. It was raining outside, but I didn't want to be inside because of the coronavirus. And so I was under an overhang, just spending time, having my hood on, my big coat on, out there spending some time with God. And it was one of those times where God began to speak, uh, and I felt like he was stirring something in my heart. And what he was stirring was that it was time for a new message, that this week I was to deliver a new message. And as I prayed about that, I talked to Steph about that, processed it. Uh, and then on Monday, I began to work on this message. Um, this message became a series. And so the name of the series is How to Cope with a Crisis. And obviously very pertinent to what we're going through right now. And so I'm very excited about this. We're going to be a three-week series between now and Easter. And what we're going to be doing in this series is just spending some time together uh, unpacking the Word. What does the Word say about how we need to respond in times of crisis? And today, I'm going to be focusing on the very first step, which in many ways is the most important step. And so there in your note sheet, if you have a note sheet, and again, if you don't have a note sheet, next week, get a note sheet. Uh, but there's a section that's called uh, How to Cope with a Crisis, the First Step. And so uh, I want to share this first step. In many ways, it's the most important step because it's, it's the foundation for all the other steps we're going to be talking about in the next three weeks. And so it goes like this. If you have your note sheet, let's fill in some blanks there. The, the, first, uh, the first step in a crisis is sort of the obvious step. Uh, we'll talk about this obvious, but not so unnatural. It's obvious until you hit a crisis. And it goes like this. Seek God and pursue him in prayer. Seek God and pursue him in prayer. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, or even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I think that, that often this is sort of natural. It's sort of, um, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, in times of, of hardship or whatever, or at least in time, normal times of life, that, when, uh, that it's kind of natural for us to go to God in prayer. Um, but what I've found is that in times of crisis, uh, because of the deep fear that we experience, that, uh, that often it's not the first thing we do. It's not natural that we do everything else. Maybe you've seen this in your life this week, 
Uh, but as the crisis has intensified for so many of us, we do everything but go to God with our crisis. We, we go to social media. We go to our friends. We go to our family. Uh, some of us get really active. Some of us get really nervous. So we feel like we have to do something to make things better. And so we do crazy things like go to Costco and buy toilet paper, right? It's like this, this is sort of crazy, but this is what we do. And so Normally, as followers of Jesus, we think, yeah, we would go to God in a crisis. Uh, we would begin to process with him in prayer. But the reality is when the fear hits, we often do anything but. But what we see in the Bible is that over and over again, that what the word tells us is that when we face a crisis, when we're in the midst of our fear, when there's panic gripping us, the first thing we need to do is we need to seek God and, and really pursue him seriously, intentionally in prayer. Now, uh, I want to give you a great example from this. We started the day with a story. And the story was of this, uh, this man who's in a large room. It's a place where he uh, operates. It's a place of comfort. Things are going well for, his, for him. And then all of a sudden, he gets this report. And uh, the, the report comes in. Assistants come in with, with high-level intelligence. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, it creates this disaster in his life. And, uh, and so the, they, he calls in advisors. They begin to jump into action. Uh, they try to devise a plan. But deep down inside, they know that there is nothing they can do to, uh, to resolve this. And so he, he finally kind of steps back, and he realizes the only thing he can do is kind of fire a, a Hail Mary. And, and this is a true story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's a story that comes from uh, the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you have your apps, I'd like to encourage you to open up, turn on. Now, if you're new to Christianity, you're new to church, you're just pursuing Jesus, you're just kind of checking out, you might say, I don't have a Bible. And I, I just want to give you a, a great tip is that if you go on to any, uh, any of the, the platforms, you know, Windows platforms or, I, or Apple platform, whatever, uh, that you can download an app. It's an incredible app that's called YouVersion. And it's just, just like it sounds, U, Y-O-U, version. And uh, it will not only give you the Bible, it will give you in the Bible in almost unlimited translations. We use the New International Version here at Rocky Peak. And so if you're new to this and you, you don't want to have a Bible, I encourage you to download that app and then join us each week and we'll be usually in the New International Version. And so anyway, if you, uh, if you turn in your Bibles to... Uh, to 2 Chronicles, in chapter 20, um, I, I want, before we jump in, I want to set the stage. So, uh, so what's happening, this, this, is a, this is a story that comes from the, the, the life of a king named Jehoshaphat. So uh, we're about 100 years after the, after the life of King David. And, uh, and so uh, the, 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 there's been a civil war in Israel. It's divided now into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. This happens in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And so the, the king is on the throne. Things are going well for him. And all of a sudden, one day, his, uh, he gets a report, intelligence report, that uh, there are three major nations that have formed an uh, unusual coalition from the eastern side of the Jordan River, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and that they are marching on Jerusalem, and they're only about 50 miles away with this huge army. In fact, they're at a place called En Gedi. And so for those of you who have been to Israel, you may remember En Gedi is that place where there's a series of four waterfalls, and, uh, and it's a place where David would hide out, an oasis when he was hiding from King Saul. So they're only about 50 miles from the capital. 
And so this is a crisis because uh, the king knows immediately he does not have the resources. He doesn't have the military. And remember, this is a day and age. There is no satellite imagery. There, is no, uh, there are no drones. Uh, there's no uh, radar. There's no GPS. And so this takes them completely by surprise. This huge mass army is only a couple days away, and he knows that he doesn't have the resources they need in order to meet this threat. And so I'm sure he calls his advisors in. The text doesn't say that, but that's what kings did in those days. I'm sure they brainstormed, came up with ideas, but, but really they all knew instinctively, intuitively, there's just nothing they could do to solve this problem. They don't have the resources. They're going down. This is gonna be not only death, but probably a bloody death in that day. And so finally the king all of a sudden has this idea. It's sort of like a spiritual Hail Mary. And he, he sends some messengers out throughout the country right away. And he, he calls, he summons everyone to Jerusalem. And I want you to see what's going to happen. So we're going to pick up in chapter 20 and verse 1. And it says, so after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites. So those are the three groups that are uh, they're forming east of the Jordan to attack. They came to wage war against King Jehoshaphat. Now some people came and they told Jehoshaphat, so he gets an intelligence report. A vast army is coming against you from Edom, and that's, that's to the east and to the south of Israel, from the other side of the Dead Sea, the far side of the Dead Sea. It's already at Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi, so 50 miles from Jerusalem. So alarmed, I love this, uh, the NIV says alarmed. Uh, I like the Hebrew better. In the Hebrew, it just says he was afraid. And so he, he's terrified. I mean, this is like, this is your worst nightmare. You're leading the nation, they're looking to you, and you know that you don't have the, the, the resources to fight this battle. And so he is afraid. And so uh, I want you to catch this, and if you have your Bibles, you wanna underline this. Uh, if you've got your apps, highlight this. He says, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And of course, when we see Lord in all caps, that's, that's Yahweh. He, he resolved to inquire of Yahweh. So catch, this is not a quick help me Yahweh type prayer. Uh, this is a resolution. This is like we are in time of crisis. We need to pursue the Lord. And it's not just me. I need the whole nation. I need them here. I need them now. I need them at the temple. Send the messengers out. Get people here. He resolved to inquire of the Lord. And so the people, they respond. They know the crisis. They come together and to catch this, they come to seek help from Yahweh. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Notice the words the author is using. He is focusing our attention. What do you do in a crisis? You resolve to inquire of the Lord. You seek help from the Lord. You seek him in the matter of just a couple sentences. Three times he has told us this is what you need to do in a crisis. You seek the Lord. And so in verse five, Jehoshaphat stands up. This is gonna take at least two or three days for everyone to get there. So the enemy is now getting closer. And Jehoshaphat stands up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of Yahweh in front of the new courtyard. So I want you to catch that. He has called the people to the temple. 
Now, for those who are new at this, there's only one temple. Uh, it's not like today, many different churches. It's like in all of Israel, there's only one temple. A hundred years before this, King Solomon had built this temple. It would take 20 years to build this temple. And when they built it, they dedicated it to Yahweh. And he, and he prayed and he said, Yahweh, here's my request. He had a couple big requests. He said, first of all, I, I want to ask that you would come and you would live with us here. You would dwell with us here. I pray that you would come and fill this place with your presence. That this will be a place where heaven meets earth. And you may remember that after all the prayer and after all the sacrifices, the Spirit of God descended on the temple. So thick was the glory that the priest could not even initially enter. And his second request, he said, in times of hardship, in times of trouble, in times of crisis, in times of war, in times of plague, in times of famine, when we don't know what to do, Yahweh, my prayer is that we as a nation, we would gather here in your name and we would call upon you and you would rescue us in time of trouble. And Jehoshaphat remembered what Solomon had prayed, and he knew what God had said, that God had answered with fire from heaven. Yes, I will do that. If you will listen and you will follow me, I will come to your aid in times of crisis. And Jehoshaphat remembered that, and that was his Hail Mary. His Hail Mary is we've got nothing. There is nothing we can do. The only thing we can do is we need God. This crisis is too big. And so call the people from every part, come to the temple, the place where heaven meets earth. And let's go before God and let's resolve in our heart to seek the Lord. And we're gonna seek him with all of our heart, with prayer and with fasting. And we're gonna stand before him and we're gonna remind him of his promise to meet us here. And we're gonna ask you, God, would you do it again? You've done it before, we need you to do it again. And so in this prayer, he's going to remind the nation of Israel. He's going to remind himself. He's going to remind God of four things. He's going to remind them of who God is. Of who they are as his people. Of how God has rescued them in the past. And what they need God to do right here, right now. And so he says, Yahweh... Verse six, Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who's in heaven? Isn't that who you are? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. You are king over all creation. Power and might are in your hand and no one, let alone these three kings, these three nations, no one can withstand you. And then God, remember the past. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land of Israel before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? This is how you've rescued us in the past. It's who we are. We're your people. And they've lived in it and they built in it a sanctuary for your name, this temple. And he quotes Solomon here. This is from Solomon's prayer a hundred years before. If calamity comes upon us, whether by the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear and save us. That's what you said, God. That's what you said a hundred years ago. And God, we are here. 
We're here standing in your presence. We've resolved to seek you. And we're standing here at the place where heaven meets earth, the place of your residence. And we are asking. He says, but now here are men from Ammon and from Moab and from Mount Seir. And to understand this, we have to understand a little bit of the history of the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel first came in the promised land. God was very clear with them. They were not to go to battle with some of the countries to the east. They were just to pass through and not damage them uh, because God said, I've not given those lands to you. They're not part of your inheritance. And so they had obeyed him and they had uh, not hurt those countries. And now the irony is hundreds of years later, some of those same countries are coming back to attack them. And so he's asking for God's justice. This is not right. And so he says, verse 10, but now here are men from Ammon, from Moab, from Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came up from Egypt. And so they turned away from it. We didn't destroy them. But see now how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of their possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? Hold them accountable. For we, then catch this, and I want you to to notice this for a little, how honest this king is. For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We got nothing. And the cupboards are bare. Like we we are up a creek without, we've got nothing. And then catch this, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We could be looking at the army, but instead we're choosing to look at you. And so all the men of Judah with their wives and their children, the little ones, they stood there before Yahweh. And now a beautiful thing's gonna happen. That all of a sudden there's a man and uh, he's a Levite, which means he's a member of the tribe of Levi. Their job is to take care of the temple. And he has this incredible spiritual heritage. Um, he, his line goes all the way back to Asaph, who was one of the worship leaders that wrote some, some of the Psalms in our Bible at the time of David. And all of a sudden, and I'm sure he's like the most surprised guy there, but the spirit of God is going to come on him. This is a beautiful thing. You know, here at Rocky Peak, we've recently finished a series, and we talked about spiritual gifts. We talked about the gift of prophecy. When the Holy Spirit gives a fresh word for a new situation, and this is what is going to happen. That the people are there. They've been fasting. They've been praying. The king has prayed. They're standing in the presence of the Lord. They are waiting on God. They're inquiring of the Lord, and all of a sudden, the Lord says, I hear that prayer. And he says, I'm going to send a fresh word, a word of my spirit, to bring perspective and peace in the midst of your chaos and crisis. And it's such an incredible word. It says in verse 14, the spirit of Yahweh came upon this man, Jehaziel. He was the son of Zechariah. He was the grandson of Benaiah. He was the great-grandson of Jael. Going way back to Mattaniah, he's a Levite. He's a descendant of Asaph. And I'm sure he's the most surprised guy there. But the spirit comes upon him and he stands up in the big voice. He says, listen, king, 
and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what Yahweh says to you. In the midst of your crisis, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your panic, this is what Yahweh, the King of Heaven, says to you. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army. For this battle, it's not yours, it's the Lord's, it's God's. He says, I know what it looks, they're big and you're small. I know you look like you're outnumbered, but, but God plus one is a majority. <laughs> and he says, this battle is not yours. This battle is the Lord's. And he goes on and he says, so here's the Lord's instruction for you. He says, tomorrow I want you to march down, take your puny little army, and I want you to march down there like David going up against Goliath. And they'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. I love that. What a great name for a pass. The pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert. He's got, this is exactly where you're gonna find them. And he says, you won't have to fight this battle. Just take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of Yahweh will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. And then catch us, what he, gets, what he says again. Do not be afraid. In case you didn't hear me the first time. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face him for the Lord will be with you. Now here's what I want you to catch. What I want you to catch is when God speaks, how it changes everything. They're all standing there. They're all in the same temple. The enemy is still just miles away. The enemy is still outnumbering them. They still have no resources, but when the word of the Lord comes, it changes everything. This is what we need in times of crisis. We need a fresh word from God in our life. We need to hear, do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I have not abandoned you. This battle is not yours. This battle is mine. Get behind me and let's go. And I want you to see when God speaks, how it changes everything. So Jehoshaphat bows down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah, they go face down in worship before Yahweh. They're just like, whoa, in a moment, their perspective has changed. Nothing has changed in the outside world, but everything has changed on the inside world. And then some Levites, they just start leading in worship from the Kohathite and the Korahites. They stood up and they began praising the Lord, probably in worship songs with a very loud voice. And we're not gonna finish this whole story. You can read it on your own. I'll tell you what happens, but just for the sake of time. But it's an amazing story. The next day they go out, Jehoshaphat takes the worship leaders puts him at the head, instead of doing battle cries, when they get ready, into, to, when, when they come upon the enemy, instead of war cries, they begin worshiping the Lord about his love and how it endures forever. And catch this, the Bible says the moment they began to worship, God set ambushes these three, this coalition of three nations that really don't get along that well. God sends a confusion and they turn on each other, 
and they slaughter each other and Israel doesn't have to lift a finger. All they have to do is take several days to carry home all the plunder. It is an amazing story, one of the most amazing stories of deliverance. But for our purpose today, I'm not focused so much on the deliverance that comes at the end of the story. I'm talking about the salvation that comes in the middle of the story while the crisis is still on. Because there's some tremendous insight here into how to cope with a crisis. And so what we see, crisis hits, fear is automatic, They start to panic, but they do the right thing. They take that first step. They seek the Lord. They inquire of God. Not just a quick prayer. They seek the Lord. And then God speaks in a powerful way and changes everything the moment he speaks and long before the crisis is even over. And so what I want to do in the time that we have today is I want to talk about how to cope with a crisis, and I want to ask you three specific questions that will both kind of help you assess how you're coping with this current crisis and help you assess how you, how you cope with future crises, um, but also some questions that will coach you based on this case study of how to cope, how to respond in time of crisis. So there in your note sheet, you see a section, how to cope with a crisis, three important questions. The first question is the most obvious question that flows out of this event, and it goes like this. Are you pursuing God in prayer? Are you pursuing God in prayer? Think of this current crisis. I know that for some of us here at Rocky Peak and around the world that are part of our church, I know for some of us, we've been hit super hard by this crisis. We've already lost a job. Uh, We've already lost a ton of money in the stock market. Perhaps we've already... We've already gotten sick, or we know someone has gotten sick. Um, So for some of us, we we feel knee-deep in crisis. We're we're already feeling it. For others of us, it's been no big deal. It's just uh, uh, you're able to telecommute. It's a little little awkward, but you don't have kids, and it works out okay, right? So we're all different points of view, uh, all places emotionally. But the question is, when a crisis hits in your life, And if this one's hitting you hard, the question is, are you pursuing God in prayer? A couple years ago, for those of you who've been here at Rocky Peak, you know this, a couple years ago, we did a series called Pursuing God One-on-One. And one of the the, the concepts, the metaphors that I introduced for our whole church at that time was sort of a a model of spiritual transformation that I call uh, the three-legged stool. We've talked about it often. I'm not going into great detail today, but I want to bring it up for a purpose. And you see it there on your note sheet. And, and the basic concept is if we want to grow, if we want to be transformed, if we want to do, enter into a deep and full relationship with God, if we want to discover our purpose, carry out our purpose, that if we want that to happen, that we, we need to pursue God in three distinct ways. Uh, the first way is represented by the, the large group. The, the, the first leg of the school is the large group. That we all need to be in community uh, as part of a, a, a body of believers, a fellowship of believers where we're hearing the word taught in a way that really speaks to us and challenges. We're hearing the voice of God. We can worship together. We can, we can gather for prayer and so on. These, kind of like our weekend services uh, or now our online services. And so we, we all need, that's the first leg. The second leg is uh, the leg of small groups. 
that all of us need to be part of a smaller group of believers that are really pursuing God together, where we can unpack the word, roll up our sleeves. What does that mean for your life? What are you learning? What's the spirit doing? We can use our spiritual gifts. We can love one another, encourage, support one another. And then, of course, the third leg is what I call the one-on-one relationship. This is where we we pursue God one-on-one on a regular basis in our life. We create what I like to call a regular rhythm of relationship where we pursue God on a regular basis uh, throughout a week to spend time with him, to read his word, to listen for his voice, to process our life in prayer, to journal, and so on, just to pursue God one-on-one. And one of the things that I I mentioned is that these three legs, uh, these three legs are synergistic. Like each leg is more powerful with the others than by himself. It's not just like one plus one equals three. It's more like three times three times three. There's a multiplying factor that every time we add a leg, it, it strengthens the other ones that we already have. And, uh, and during times of crisis, this is so important that we're pursuing God in all three ways. That we're pursuing him large group. We're pursuing him small group. That's why even we're doing our life groups, we're gonna continue meeting uh, just digitally. We're gonna pursue God in small groups and then we're gonna pursue him one on one. But here's the thing, and I've mentioned this before, that for us as Christ followers, especially in a church like Rocky Peak, that for most of us uh, in pursuing God in weekend services, pursuing God in small groups, that's kind of natural. It's part of our culture here. It's fairly easy to do. The place for for many of us is very difficult to do is to pursue God one-on-one. And yet in time of crisis, this becomes one of the most important things. You're not with your life group every day. You're not in weekend service every day. That we have to learn how to pursue God one-on-one. We can hear his voice. We can read his word. We can process with him in prayer because this gives a depth and an anchor to our life. And this is what we see is happening. The Jehoshaphat, they are pursuing God uh, they are, they're not just throwing up a random prayer, they're taking it seriously. And so the first question is, is are you right now in the midst of this crisis? Because again, remember what I said, it, is, it seems so natural, like why wouldn't we as followers of Jesus kind of pull away from the craziness of life and seek him one-on-one? But let me ask you, are you doing that? Because my experience is we're not doing that. We are going to social media. We are watching the same TV uh, announcer for hours on end who are saying the exact same thing and halftime it's wrong. Uh, Just we are absorbed in taking any information in the hopes that it will give us peace. That this person will say something that will make it better. There'll be some word of hope. They'll see one, some, some word of news, some, something of insight. And so we're running around seeking everyone but who we ought to seek, which is the Lord. Because it's the Lord and the Lord alone that can give us perspective. It's the Lord and the Lord alone that can give us his peace. And so are you doing it? For many of you, this is a time of opportunity You've known for a long time that Jesus is calling you to pursue him one-on-one. You know that. He's the Holy Spirit. But now is your time. Now is your opportunity. You need to be pursuing the Lord one-on-one. So is that happening? Number two, the second question is how honest are you in your prayers? One of the things we see in this 
account is that Jehoshaphat, especially for a leader, a king, is incredibly honest. We're told right away that, that he was afraid. This was no secret. He wasn't trying to pretend that, that all was well. He was scared. Uh, he was extremely honest when he went before the people. And when he prayed, he, he was very honest that this is too big for us. He said, we have no power against this mass army. He was very honest. And then this is my favorite part. He said, we don't know what to do. Now let me ask you, how vulnerable is that for a king? Can you imagine President Donald Trump going on national TV? Hey, this coronavirus is big, and frankly, we don't know what to do. Can you imagine Governor Newsom going on a news? Hey, we don't know what to do. We're freaking out out here. We, we've talked about it a lot. We don't know what to do. We're just going to make up some stuff because we don't know what to do. Like, can you see Mayor Garcetti going, hey, we don't know what to do. This thing is spreading. We no, leaders don't say that kind of thing. They always say they know what to do, even if they don't know what to do. But I want you to notice how vulnerable this king is before the entire nation. This is not a time for playing games. This is a crisis. This is not a time to pretend that things are okay. It's not a time to pretend I'm okay. He went before the Lord. He said, we are not okay. We don't have the resources to deal with this. We don't know what to do. You're our only hope. And here's what I found. In times of crisis, even, often as Christ followers, we are not radically honest. And I think often it's because we know that deep down that we wish we were someone different. We wish our faith was bigger. We don't want to tell God we're freaking out because we just kind of feel that's not appropriate. So we want to pretend to God, pretend to ourselves, pretend to others, we're really doing okay. But that doesn't really get us anywhere. God speaks to people who are authentic, who are real, who are very honest. And so what you see, you see it modeled all through Scripture in times of crisis. You see the men and women of God being very honest, very transparent. I think of the Psalms. They're such a great example of this. Think of King David. I mean, such an amazing guy, a warrior, a man's man, kills Goliath, carries his head 10 miles, 20 miles. I mean, this guy is, you know, he, he's a leader of the army. He's a leader of men. But there were times in his life when he was filled with terror because of crisis. He was just worn out, worn down. He couldn't see a way out. And I love like in Psalm 55, He's, look at this, this is a Psalm of David. He said, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. That is beautiful. That is a man being radically honest with God. And what I found is if we want to find peace, we have to be radically honest. I know in my own life, when I'm going through times of, uh, of, of horror, times of, of fear, times where I'm uncertain, one of the things I always do is I go to my journal and I begin writing down, what is scaring you? What is your fear? Name it and chase it down until you find it. Don't leave it vague. Chase it down. And when you write it down, you put a name to it. This is what I'm afraid of. Let me ask you in this coronavirus crisis, what are you afraid of? If you're struggling with fear, what are you afraid of? Write it down. 
Be as specific as you can. And then once you write it down, you take it to the Lord and you say, Lord, this is what I'm afraid of. And I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And that's where God meets us. He meets us at the place of authenticity and honesty. Number three, the third question. Now, this is my favorite. The third question is, whose voice are you listening to? You know, in times of crisis, we tend to lose our perspective. That fear does that. It magnifies. It's like looking through the wrong end of the telescope. And it, it, it magnifies our problems and it minimizes our God. And in that process, we lose our perspective. And one of the things that causes us to lose perspective is that we, uh, there are so many voices in our head. We've got our own voice. We've got the voices of friends and family that frankly aren't always helpful. Um, we've, got the voice, um, we've got the voice of colleagues, we've got the voice of the media, we've got the voice of social media, and more than anything else, we have the voice of the enemy who is magnifying all those other voices and trying to sow fear in our hearts. And so the question is, Whose voice are you listening to? Because the reality is, there is one, as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to listen to one voice above all the rest. And that is the voice of the Spirit. And we see it illustrated so beautifully in this crisis event in Jehoshaphat's life, where when God speaks, everything changes. It is crisis, it is terror, it is fear, it is panic, but when the voice of God speaks, when the Spirit speaks, the waters cease. And I love what the Spirit said through this Levite. There in your note sheet, we noticed this, there was twice in this passage, but I'm just gonna focus on the first one. In 2 Chronicles 20, 15, it says, this is what Yahweh says, and notice what he says. He says, do not be what? Afraid. Do not, catch that, it's a command. Do not be afraid. If this is unnecessary, your fear is not needed here. Do not be afraid. Hey, don't even be discouraged because of the vast army. I, I get it, but you, there's no need here. You don't need to be afraid because this, this battle is not yours. It's, you're not alone in this. And let me ask you something. Do those, th do those three words, do not be, do four words. Do those four words sound familiar? Do not be afraid. Like how many times in the Bible does God say, do not be afraid? It's interesting. As I was uh, reading a, a scholar doing some study on this passage this week, one of the scholars made this comment. I, I didn't check it out, but I'll, I'll trust him. I'll take him in his word. But he said that in the Bible, that these words, do not be afraid or do not fear, that they are spoken from God to his people or from the leaders of the people for God to the people. 
that these words are spoken 365 times. I want you to think about that. That's one time for every day of the year. And what it says is how often God says this, but catch us how often we need to hear it. It speaks to the human condition. And I started thinking about that, and I started thinking about all the times that God began, and I began to do a little study on this, and I put some verses there on your, on your note sheet. You'll see a whole bunch of them. And every one of them talks about do not fear. And I did this on purpose because I want to kind of walk you through them, but this will be a great study for you this week, your one-on-one time, that you would go and take a verse or two a day. Don't just read the verse, but read the verse and read before and after. Find out what's going on, who's afraid, why are they afraid, why is God telling you they don't need to be afraid, how does it all turn out? But let me just walk you through some of the the do not fears that came to my mind as I was studying this. This is what God said to Abram after he'd fought a battle with five kings and was afraid they were gonna come and kill him. He said, do not fear. I'm your great reward. I'm your shield. This is what he told Isaac when Isaac was afraid that he was gonna be killed because of a water war over wells. This is what God said to Jacob towards the end of his life when he discovered that his son that he loved, Joseph, was still alive and in Egypt, but that he would have to travel there to see him. And God had told him, this is the promised land. He was afraid, if I go down there, I'll never get back. God says, don't be afraid to go. This is what God, when Moses told the children of Israel when the Egyptians were behind him and the Red Sea was in front of them, do not be afraid. This is what God told Joshua before he went to the promised land. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Have I not called you? I will go with you every step of the way. This is what Naomi told Ruth to encourage her to take the step of faith and propose to Boaz. This is what Jonathan told David in the the wilderness of Ziph when he was so discouraged and King Saul was trying to kill him. Do not be afraid. This is what David told his son Solomon at the end of his life when he was turning over the kingdom and Solomon was gonna start building, building the temple, this massive project. It was so intimidating. He said, do not be afraid. This is what Nehemiah told the people of Jerusalem when they're rebuilding the walls and their enemies were coming to attack them. He said, do not be afraid. This is what the angel told Mary when he said, you're going to have a son. Do not be afraid. It's what Jesus said to his disciples when they're walking on the water. Do not be afraid. It's what, it's what the angels told the women when they came to the, came to the tomb and the body was missing. Do not be afraid. It's what the angel told Paul in the midst of his shipwreck. Do not be afraid. It's what Jesus said to the church of Smyrna who are undergoing persecution. Do not be afraid. And this is what God says to us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. You know, the last couple years, the Lord has been doing a work in my life and teaching me that for the follower of Jesus, that fear is never the right posture. And can I tell you, I'm still in about first grade of this lesson. 
I've got a long way to go. But I want you to stop and think about it. I want you to think through the Bible. And I want you to, there's never a time where God says, now is the time to be afraid. There's never one example where, hey, you've trusted me up to this point, and that's been great. You've had a lot of peace, but I just need to let you know, things are about to get really bad. So now would be the appropriate time to be afraid. God never comes to his people one time and says, now is the time to be afraid. It's appropriate. The only exception would be when he says, to fear God. (laughs) You're living in disobedience. It's time to be afraid. Very afraid. There's an appropriate fear of the Lord. But beyond that, one of my favorite passages is in 2 Timothy chapter 1 or 1 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm sure it's a familiar verse to, to many of you, but Paul's talking, the apostle Paul talking to his young protege, Timothy. And uh, Timothy's got a tough job. He's been sent to Ephesus to oversee the house churches. There's a lot of, a lot of false doctrine going on. A lot of people are opposing him. He's a young man. He feels a bit intimidated. And Paul says to, writes to him, he says, Timothy, I get it. I understand why you're afraid. But he says, but what you need to know, look at your note sheet. God gave us a spirit. And in the Greek, uh, this could be capital S. A lot of translations will say the spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. God gave us the spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Timothy, hey, I understand why you're afraid, but you need to know this, that that fear is not from the Lord. <laughs> that, that fear is not from him. Because when, when the Spirit speaks, he brings power. When the Spirit speaks, he brings love. When the Spirit speaks, he empowers us with self-control, not panic. He says, so, so I, get what you're, I, I get what you're experiencing. I understand it, but just know the Spirit that God has given you is not a spirit. That is not from the Lord. As a follower of Jesus, yes, we experience fear, but it's not where we're to live. It's not, it's not what he desires. God does not want us to live in a place called fear. He has come to deliver us from our fear. It's why Jesus has come. He's come to, de- to destroy our fears. And so, in the midst of a crisis, there are so many voices that are vying for our attention. And they are synergistic. They feed off of one another. They lead to confusion. But as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to listen to that one voice above all the rest. It's the voice of our shepherd that says, do not fear. Do not be discouraged. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And in the midst of the chaos, we need to be listening for his voice above all the rest. But catch this, very seldom can we hear that voice 
unless we are seeking him and pursuing him in prayer, being radically honest and putting ourselves in a position like Jehoshaphat and Judah did, where they come before the Lord, they resolve to seek the Lord, to inquire of the Lord. You put yourself in that place, you put yourself in a place where you can hear the voice of God. And when you hear the voice of God, it changes everything. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you as your church gathered around LA and Santa Clarita and Simi Valley and Burbank and Calabasas and, and out to other states and over across the water and to England and to China and to many others we haven't even heard from yet. The Lord, we, we gather in your name at a time of crisis and we're seeking you. And we pray that you would continue to teach. I pray, Lord, I pray you'd teach us if we need to begin fasting as a whole church to seek you in an intentional way. I just pray you'd lead us in that way. That we are coming before you. We were seeking, we're resolving to seek you in the midst of this crisis. We want to seek you in a large group. We want to seek you in small groups. We want to seek you one-on-one. We want to be radically honest. We want to name our fears. We want to put them down on paper. We want to bring them to you. And then God, as we look to you and we say, hey, this is too big for me. I can't do this. But my eyes are on you. We pray that you would speak. We pray you'd speak powerfully, authentically. We'd hear your voice above the rest. And that that voice would be bring peace on the water like when you spoke on the Sea of Galilee. The storm stops. So Father, we pray as we worship now, as we prepare to bring our offerings even online. We pray that in this moment we'd hear your voice. We'd sense your presence with us wherever we are and that your voice would cut through all the rest of the voices. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.